Today we'll be reading out of 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. If you were going through the reading plan today or this past week, you would have read all of 1 John. And you would have noticed that John tends to repeat himself. And it's a particular way of writing that in some ways it's the mixture of, uh, of writing almost like a song and a sermon all in one. Where he just he hits an important topic and he comes back around to another topic and he just keeps filing and getting more intense with, with the conversation he's having with the people that he's writing to. And so you've seen as you've read this this past week the theme of God's love showing up over and again. And so we're going to read about that this morning out of 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. The Apostle John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Due to the holidays, we do not have kingdom kids today, so just a heads up on that. And I was in the baptistry, so I'm sure Rosemary mentioned the church, exploring church membership is next Sunday, but let me just give a personal invite. If you're at all interested in learning about membership, this does not commit you to being a member. It just gives you some information about membership and gives you a chance also to maybe meet some folks that are also new to the church. So if that's something you're interested in, I really want to encourage you to come check that out next Sunday, 945. Check the box on your connection card to let us know you're coming. Or feel free to shoot me a, a text or an email this coming week if you need to kind of look at your calendar and consult with family and make sure your schedule is free. Feel free to contact me later in the week. And let us know. And when that day comes, we are going to meet over here in our Christian Life Center. It's the metal building that sits off behind the sanctuary. We'll be downstairs in our fellowship hall. And we'll be looking out for you. And it's going to be a good time of fellowship and learning together. Well, as I said, coming off a holiday this past week, Thanksgiving. Curious, how did you do? How did everybody do? I'm not talking about how much turkey did you eat or how much ham did you eat. I'm saying, you know, how did it go with the family? And maybe some friends that you had over. Maybe you had some neighbors. Did you, did you love them well? How, how did that go? That's what I'm asking. That's a tough one, right? It's a tough one. I, I keep in mind that in order to be an, an all-star in baseball, you just got to hit the ball about three times out of ten. And so if you got about three opportunities out of ten to love people well, you know, in baseball terms, you're like a Hall of Famer, all right? So that's the good news. But if you're like me, yeah, you whiffed on a few, didn't you? You struck out a couple times, right? Because it's a challenge to love people the way God has loved us all the time. And so there's a temptation when you come to a passage like this just to say, hey, God said love each other. God said he loves you. 
So let's just go do that. And you would probably say, hey, that sounds great. That means we get out of here early and we can get stretched because some of us really need to stretch for this turkey bowl thing that we're doing today. We're doing some flag football today. And we definitely need to stretch out those muscles the older you get. How many of you take, anybody take your preventative medicine this morning in preparation for today? I, now I take painkillers before I have to do anything that is slightly athletic. I have to take my painkillers just, just to get prepared, right? How, do, how did you do loving people? It's easy just to say love people well. And let's go do that. But we know that it's actually just not that easy. It's pretty challenging, isn't it? It's pretty tough to meet the standard of Scripture when we talk about love. Because the standard of Scripture is pretty high. In fact, the place that I often go, if somebody wants, what, what does biblical love mean? Because in our world today, love means, you know, we have these feelings. We have these emotions. We sense this connection. And I think the Bible would not denigrate that at all. That's just not the way Bible, the Bible defines love. That's more like what the Bible means when it talks about the affection. And affection is actually an important part of our life with God and with one another as well. God is not saying be devoid of those feelings and don't worry about having a heart that is drawn to others. That's important too. But that's not necessarily the same idea as love. Biblical love is love in action. Biblical love is probably best defined, I think, in 1 Corinthians 13. You know the passage. Some of you had it. It was on my wedding napkins. Although it wasn't meant for a wedding, it fits in well because you got two people getting married and they really don't know what they're getting into, right? And so you got to tell them, no, no, no. It's not about the loving feelings that you think that you have right now. It's love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. And so on it goes. And so love is, is action-oriented. Biblical love is... Is more than feeling. It's not less necessarily, but certainly is more. And so it's easy just to say, hey, go out there and, and love people. But then when you get down to it and someone has eaten all the hors d'oeuvres, like you just wanted one deviled egg, right? And they took all, somebody's got a plate of three of them, four of them, half a dozen, and you see them then throw them in the trash can. Don't you just want to, oh my goodness, come on. It just drives you nuts, right? It's easy to just say, go and love people. It's actually a very different thing when you look at love through the lens of Scripture and say, that's the standard. We're getting this uh, direction to love from a guy named John. John is one of the original 12 disciples. We understand John rent, uh, wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we believe he also wrote the book of Revelation. So as far as writing words down, inspired by God in the Bible, John comes in number three behind Luke and, and uh, Paul. So he is one who has written quite a bit of our New Testament scriptures. And out of all the times love is mentioned in the New Testament, there's 361 times love is mentioned in the New Testament, at least in the New International Version of the Bible of the New Testament. Out of those 261 times, 81 of those are penned by the Apostle Paul. That means 30% of the time when the word love shows up in the New Testament, the, the Apostle John, excuse me, John is the one that wrote that word. So John actually gets uh, this, this nickname, the Apostle of Love, which is kind of surprising when you know a little bit about John's backstory because he had another nickname. Later on, he became known as the Apostle of Love. But early on, he went by a different nickname given to him by none other than Jesus himself. Do you know what it is? 
Mark 3.17, we read about James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And to them, Jesus gave the nickname Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder, which, what in the world? Yeah, what's that about, right? What's that about? Why? Possibly because they were, you know, maybe they were loud and boisterous, you know, like that uncle you encountered at Thanksgiving this past week that, that everybody just loves, right? Maybe it's because they were willing and eager to be heard by others. Or maybe it's because, you know, you might remember this occasion where, where James and his brother, they come to Jesus. It's not super clear because in one, one story it's their, parent, it's their mother and the other story it's them. And so what's really going on? But it's clear that they have this request of Jesus and they want Jesus to give them places of prestige and power when Jesus comes into his kingdom. They say, they say of Jesus, we have a request, Jesus. We would like to sit on your left and on your right. They want prestige. They want power. Maybe that has something to do with their nickname given to them by Jesus, Sons of Thunder. Or maybe it's this occasion, which I think this might be probably the one. There's a story in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51, that Jesus, it says, has set his intentions to go to Jerusalem. He's going there for the Passover meal. This is uh, taking place uh, in the middle of his ministry. He sent messengers on ahead, we read in verse 52, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now, this was already unusual. Uh, Jesus, being a Jewish man, would not typically travel through Samaria to get through down to Jerusalem for a holiday festival, though that would be the fastest route. You would normally kind of swing wide and avoid Samaria because in Samaria are the Samaritans, and the Samaritans and the Jews didn't really like each other. There's a lot of history there, but the Jews weren't really welcome in Samaria to begin with, and we read about that. In Luke chapter 9, read verse 53, the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They knew what he was doing and they, they didn't like that they were coming through their town on the way to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, James and John, sons of thunder, this is where I think they probably got the nickname. When James and John saw them, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? From heaven to destroy them? Now, I don't know how your Thanksgiving went. I don't, know, I don't know if you felt totally warm and welcome everywhere you went. But I'm guessing if you didn't, you probably didn't have, hey, do you think God could strike them with lightning? Like, like that would be, not only did they have the thought, but they said it out loud to Jesus. Like they wanted to know, should we do that? Is that isn't that an appropriate response? That, that, that these people should just be burned to ashes because they didn't welcome us? Jesus did not agree with that response. We read in verse 55, Jesus actually rebuked them. Probably why they're called the sons of thunder. Now, now imagine this. Imagine, imagine you are in charge of caring for your elderly mother. Now, this might be true of you, actually. That's your responsibility. But you know you've got to go away on a trip. And, and you need someone to look out for your mom. You need someone to take care of her while you're gone. Someone you trust. Someone you know that's going to do, or at least try to do, as good of a job as you try to do. 
right? Now, now, would someone like John be the kind of person you would call upon to take that place in her life, to love her as a son would, as you would, or as a daughter would, as you do? Does John, does his resume fit the description of who you're looking for? Not mine, but something amazing here. Something takes place in the, in the course of John's life that being known as a son of one of the sons of thunder, that he would come to a place where as Jesus is hanging on the cross and his mother is there, and now John, his disciple, is there. And he says to, he says to, to his mother, he says, Woman, here is your son, speaking about John. And to the disciple, John, he said, here is your mother. Something changed in John. And here's, here's the good news, I think. When I read what John has to say in 1 John about loving people, loving them well, I feel like that's beyond me. I don't think I can do that. I mean, not just imperfectly. Sure, I can't do it imperfectly. And not just all the time. Well, of course I can't do it all the time. But even to the level that I desire, I fall short of that. It's something, I don't know, it's comforting to me to see that John, a very imperfect person, became the person that Jesus trusted to love his mother. Son of thunder though he was. Something about that time with Jesus so transformed John... That now it seems that all John can talk about is the need to love one another. How is it the son of thunder can become known as the apostle of love? Because he encountered the God of love in Christ Jesus. He spent time with him. Jesus, the one who is God in the flesh, who is characterized in our reading today above all else is being a God of love. We talk about the defining characteristic of God. John says, God, twice he says, God is love. Both in verse 8 and in verse 16. That this is who he is. And this is the one that John encountered. Was Jesus, God in the flesh, a God of love. And this proof of God's love is found in Jesus himself. This is what John says in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. Like, how do we know that God loves us? Because just as it's one thing to say, go love people, it's another thing to say, God loves you. Well, how do you know God loves you? How can you be sure that God loves you? How can you be confident that when the Bible says that, it means that? And John says, here's how. Here's how you can know. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And John says, this love God has for you and me, he reached out to us. He came to us. He approached us. He moved our way to love us. Chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So, so to spend time with this God of love, to be in the presence of a God who's defined as love, 
It's going to have a transformative effect on our life. And this love of God that, that drove Jesus into this world, the person of Jesus Christ in the world, this love that he has for us, this is the love that fundamentally transformed John. And after this transformation, somewhere in the midst of hanging out with Jesus, people began to refer to the Apostle John as the Apostle of Love. Not only that, but you know what? He, he began to see himself as one loved by God. You couldn't be in the presence of Jesus without determining, I think God actually does love me. So in, if you go back to the Gospel of John, there's multiple occasions where John himself will refer uh, to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You see it in John 13, 23, 19, 26, 20, verse 2, 21, verse 7. John refers to himself over and again as the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I was looking at this. I was going through John. I was thinking about this. And what's interesting is he doesn't mention this way of referring to himself until the week leading up and shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was in these moments that John knew Jesus had love for him. That Jesus loved him not just when it was easy to do so, but Jesus loved him when it was hard. And this is how God loves us. Not when we're easy to love, but when we're hard to love. Not when it costs him nothing, but when it costs him everything. When you and I understand that this is how we are loved by the creator of the universe, we too are transformed, like John. Like him, we become different. No longer sons and daughters of thunder, but sons and daughters of God. And John would write this in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. God chose you and me. Not because we are lovely, but in order to make us lovely. And when we see ourselves as children loved by God in this unconditional way, then I think we are ready to obey the greatest commandment that we find in Scripture. You know what it is? I bet you can context clues and figure it out. Or maybe you've heard it your whole life. That Jesus replied to the question, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, it's this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And to love others as yourself. It's the greatest of all the commandments. Jesus said all the other stuff in the Old Testament hang on this commandment. To love God and to love others. But that will never happen if we do not first see. That God has loved us. 1 John chapter 4, 10 and 12. This is love. How has God loved us? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what's that saying? It's saying that God loved us in our sins, despite our sins. And so he says, dear friends, since God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, John says. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love has made complete in us. So it's just one thing to say, hey, go out there, love people, right? Love God, love people. Uh, here's what love looks like. It's action. Let's get it done. But if our hearts aren't drawn towards this reality that God has first loved us, God has come to us. God the Father has sent the Son to lay down his life for us. That is how he has loved us. If we don't see that first, I think we're going to find it nearly impossible to love others the way God wants us to. In fact, I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that it can't be done. To love people the way God wants us to love people starts with this. You are loved by him. So my question to you this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe it? When you hear it, do you just say, I've heard that before, and you just got to move on with all the things that are going through your mind and the grocery list and the things you got to figure out before school starts tomorrow? I mean, what actually transpires in you? I mean, do you really believe it? Is it something you would say out loud? Of course God loves me. But in reality, you, you doubt it very much. I think what John would say to us is this. This is how you know. God the Father sent the Son. Could you ever doubt a love like that? I would hope not. Because I got to tell you, I like y'all, and I love you. I'm not giving up my kid for you. You're on your own, all right? I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Because my love is not like God's love. God's love is so far beyond and better than any human love. And when he hits you with that love. And you know it's true. I think the natural result is. How do I love other people that way? I may swing and miss. I may strike out. But I, I want to keep trying. To love people the way I have been loved. So do you believe that? God has loved you. If you doubt it. Look to the cross. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to pray for those who are here this morning that they hear those words that you are a God of love, that you love them, that Jesus died for them. They hear those things and they may be thinking, yeah, right, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Or yeah, right, I, I don't see it showing up in my life. Where is the love of God for me? God, I am fully aware there's nothing I could say or do to convince those who are struggling with believing that they are loved. But I also fully believe that through the work of your spirit and the work of your word, there can absolutely be a transformation, just as there was in John's life, just as there has been in my life and in so many other people's lives, that when we encounter you, a loving God, when we are in the presence of Jesus who died for his enemies, myself included. God, the doubt starts to slip away. And the truth starts to set in. As unlovely as I am, I am loved by the creator of the universe. And for that, we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.